What is up? Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. Another week, another great episode. I'm going to try to keep this intro really short this week. I just want to get straight into the episode. We are sitting down with Colin Britton this week. He is an incredible songwriter and producer. He has worked with huge artists like Day to Remember, Five Seconds of Summer, Papa Roach, One OK Rock, All Time Low, all sorts of remarkable artists. He has a very, very cool story. He's extremely well accomplished. So let's get straight to it. If you like the episode, share it, rate it, review it on iTunes, tell a friend about it, all that good stuff. You know how much that means to me. Let's go. Here we are. Where are all my friends sitting down with Colin Britton? Hello. Is it Doc? Do you, I see Doc some places uh, yeah. and then Colin. Right. What's um, the. That was so like, that was like a, a childhood nickname. Oh, Doc. Yeah. And it yeah. just stuck. And I mean, I think my buddy Raz, who's a producer, a really great producer, he gave me that name and oh, like, he, he found out about it and then kept like using it and stuff. So. So like yeah. with the boys, like what do you what do you introduce yourself as? I'm Colin. Okay, yeah, just Colin. just regular Colin. Yeah. And then like once you, yeah, once I don't know you if I'm know. cool enough for Doc to be like, hey man, I'm Doc. <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool though. It's Maybe always, I'll start doing that. It's always like a little bit douchey if yeah. you like introduce yourself with your nickname. You're like, that, especially if it's your nickname that not everybody knows. They're like, <laughs> some of your friends are like, wait, what? I don't know. Am I allowed to curse on this program, oh, yeah, by yeah, the way? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. I never know. So yeah. I'll I think ask. podcasts I have a are filthy pretty, mouth. Yeah, that's fine. I figured it was a, it was kind of unrated, but yeah. never know. Um, but yeah, so here we are. I'm excited for this because I've had all sorts of different guests on. The whole theme is music industry, right? And it even goes a little outside of that. But I'm excited because one, we really just met which I love because it makes the story and like learning it like so honest and real. So that's super fun. But also because I haven't really had an established, successful producer songwriter um, who's done what you've done. So I think that'll be a cool discussion that I haven't really had yet. So I'm, I'm really excited. Cool. Um, I like to start just from the beginning of like, where are you from? What was it? Where's like your, your early days of finding your passion? Um, I've started, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. So like east of Nashville, um, to a very musical family. Like my, my brother is a songwriter in Nashville. My sister is signed to Warner Chapel in Nashville. Um, currently that's just kind of where we ended up, like where we all ended up. But, um, we've, you know, my dad, um, always had music around the house. Like a lot of producers and musicians nowadays, you know, it was just like, we were really fortunate. It's kind of the luck of your draw. You know, I've heard people are like, pick your parents carefully. You know, <laughs> I picked good parents for, for music, I guess. At least my dad was very musical and he was in like hobby bands and stuff, you know? And, um, it was just, you know, growing up in Tennessee, it's like music is a very sort of like, I mean, Nashville is music city. Memphis is, you know, where blues started and Elvis started and, um, and Knoxville is sort of like right in the Appalachian mountains where a lot of the like bluegrass and Americana music originated. So there's a tremendous amount of just musicality in general there. Uh, and then the South, the Southern United States of course is where gospel came from. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like the, it's, it's sort of in the lower end of the Bible belt. So it's like, there's a lot of church music that's sort of around a lot. Um, you know, music festivals in the summer, like just a lot of that was just 
in the atmosphere. And you felt where that I grew up. like from an early age? Yeah. I mean, my dad, I'm one of my earliest memories is my dad used to play in a bluegrass band, actually. Um, he's been all over the place, but they were playing, you know, we, we, I was born in Florida, but I, um, we moved to Mississippi shortly after that. And then we moved to where we finally, I wound up growing up in Tennessee, but he, I remember my earliest memory is I was in Southern Mississippi running. Around. I was probably four years old running around barefoot. And my dad's bluegrass band was like playing on the porch, like for a, you know, audience of, you know, 50 friends and family and whatever. And that's like one of my first memories. And he had a drum kit set up and, um, in, in like the little like garage area and stuff. And so I, like, I just remember always seeing instruments around, like literally as, as young as I could possibly remember, you know, that's so, so sick. It's just so <clears throat> interesting to me because I think that there's both sides of that, right? When you find music, like for me, my parents were really not that musical. It wasn't like music wasn't around, but it was not like that. Mm -hmm. So occasionally it's like the kid and you just find it, you connect it somewhere else and you see it and you obsess. And then there's like the families where mm -hmm. you like, it's just there. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing like, I feel really fortunate that I found what I like to do. Yeah. And everybody that I talk to that is injured, cause usually when I'm doing podcasts like this, it, there's for, it's for a reason. Like people are interested. People who are listening to this podcast are hopefully interested or else you'd be very bored probably <laughs> or interested in music or like the, you know, entertainment and the industry in some way. And so, you know, that requires a lot of energy to do that and to be passionate about something. So, um, but it's such a like wonderful thing to be passionate about. So I encourage everybody to, you know, find whatever they're looking for, whatever their passion is and just go super hard into it. Well, right. And that's like, that's what I am obsessed with, right? Yeah. Like, cause it doesn't really matter what that is, but it's just such a journey finding it always. And it's so interesting to me because I think that if you, if you have the courage and if you're honest with yourself and you find that passion early, then you have so much time to just hone it in and be incredible at it. But not everybody has that, right? Like right. sometimes you try a ton of different things. Mm -hmm. So like those early years, the finding that is so interesting to me. And it seems like you had that from a pretty young age. Very young age, but that also like, you know, that doesn't always guarantee anything. No. You know, I like I also had, you know, a basketball hoop outside. Yeah. So like, tell me, so like, what is like, what so, is it like growing up? Like, what was your first instrument that you were playing? Like, what are you like in school? Did you have other hobbies? Like, you know, like, so music for me was so early. Yeah. And I just developed like some, you know, I started playing drums when I was six, I think. Whoa. Um, I picked up guitar shortly thereafter. Um, I'm still working on that actually. <laughs> but, um, and then it was more than like learning an instrument because the instrument's kind of arbitrary, to be honest with you. It's like you can, ju it's just hearing like the most valuable thing for me wasn't any of the instruments I was playing. It was just being surrounded by music happening and like putting that in, into your bank, you know, in, into like your brain and storing it away. Yeah. And then that's really what it, where it comes from is like, hearing, you know, nobody comes up with completely original musical ideas. It's always something that you've heard before that you're, you know, you've heard certain chord progressions or whatever before. And then you, you're sort of, your brain is swishing it around, you know, and then you're just spitting out like little clips, you know, it's kind of like clip art or something. Yeah. So uh, the most amount of the more, the more you, the earlier on, the more, you know, like, you know, pages you can like sort of put in your bank to clip up later is the better. That's the best way I can describe it. So 
that's the most valuable thing I think for growing up around music isn't really even the instruments. So I've never heard it explained like that. And that's crazy. To yeah. Me. Cause I get it. I totally get for it. For sure. And, it, and that's where the passion, that's where the passion comes from. I think is just like, Oh, this is, this makes me feel a certain way. And I love it. And actually another really early memory of mine, I, th- I, I was so young. I, I must've been like three or four, but it was like, I was staying at my uncle's house who was also a phenomenally talented musician. And he was playing, I think it was like a country song. I don't remember the song, but I remember specifically going, I want to hear that. It was on a cassette tape. And I was like, I remember asking him like, I want to hear that again. I like that. And I'm almost certain it was a country song. Um, but I just loved how that made me feel, I think, you know? Uh, and so like, you know, music is such a powerful thing. I think that's why it's such an important thing still in everybody's life. Yeah. That's awesome. So then, okay. So where do, what was your first start? Did you start in bands? Like typically you wouldn't start with recording other artists or producing. No, no, no. Definitely, definitely, you know, like started in bands and, you know, I wanted to be, um, my fantasy when I was like, you know, in fourth grade or whatever was, you know, to be in a band with all of my friends in school and then like us be super famous, you know, that was like the first thing. And then, you know, you, I was very like kind of an imaginative little kid and I would always like be daydreaming and fantasizing about these little things in my life, like being, you know, some kids like dream that they're going to be like LeBron James someday. I always was like, I want to be like, you know, I want to be playing drums on stage for millions of people. That's just always what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, like I joined bands and then I, I was a pretty prolific drummer, I guess, at a young, fairly young age. So that was your instrument. That was yeah, really that was my the... first, first instrument. And that was like, people started taking notice of that. And like, so I, I wound up when I was 11 or 12, you know, getting approached by like a high school band, a band, guys in high school. Okay. They were like, dude, can you play? drums for us, you know? And so, so even though you were the young one, parents, like you're yeah, skilled. like super young and stuff. And it was just kind of, that was a weird age gap thing. And my parents were just like, oh, I don't know about this. Like hanging out with a bunch of, you know, 16 or 17 year old kids when you're 12. Um, did you do it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Heck, yeah. Yeah. Definitely did. What was that like? I mean, it was, it was great. Well, so like that was important because those guys sort of like brought me into, cause before that I, I had only listened to what my parents listened to. Yeah. Like a lot of young kids. And then, um, they brought me into like, you know, he showed me, he's like, oh, here's Rage Against the Machine. Like, uh, and that, I was just like, going to ask, that like, what door, were some of the music they showed you? Yeah. So like Rage Against the Machine was like, I mean, this was in the late nineties or whatever. So, you know, Rage was like huge. And, um, I've kind of found like Third Eye Blind and a lot of like alt rock bands from the, that was sort of the thing yeah. back then. But Rage Against the Machine just scared the living fuck out of me. Yeah. Like I remember just hearing Bulls on Parade for the first time and I was just like, I cannot believe that this exists. Yeah. And it just opened up, oh, you know, a whole entire door for me. So like Rage Against the Machine and then like Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, like which is of course at that point was older, had been out for a couple of years, but it was the first time I'd ever heard it. And because my parents didn't listen to Nirvana, you know, but um, that's like the first thing I, I remember hearing. And I was just like, holy shit, this is fucking, this is some wild that stuff. moment, yeah. like that moment of, I don't think it matters what the artist is, right. but finding 
that artist where you're like, wait, this isn't the radio. This right. isn't what my parents listen to. Like whenever you find that, I feel yeah. like that's so important. Absolutely. It's important. And, um, to this day, Rage Against the Machine is without a, anybody's like, who's your favorite band? You know, so these people are like, oh, it's such a hard question. I like so many kinds of music. I have one <laughs> favorite band and then everybody else kind of exists in like, you know, subjectivity to how I'm feeling. <laughs> Rage Against the Machine is without a doubt my absolute favorite band. Of all time. I know you had Johnny Minardi on here. Yeah. He and I definitely share that, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Because I see his posts a lot, and we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, and he was like the first person when they, I found out that they're going to be playing Coachella next year. He was the first person to post about it. Yep. And I hate Coachella. Like, love anybody who likes to go to Coachella, but I fucking hate big music festivals unless I'm playing them or I'm backstage. Yeah. I do not go to music festivals. It's too stressful for me. So... But I'm going to probably go to Coachella because I've just never seen need... them before. Yeah. 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 And I've just I got to see it so, for myself. I feel a similar way. Like my, my artist like that. One of the first ones was Blink-182 for me. Sure. So like, Wait, this isn't the same as all the other stuff. Right. And I never got to see like the OG lineup. Yeah. And I hate that. But Yeah. You know, but sometimes it's like better if you don't. Yeah, that's true. Because it's to see like then to see, you know, then to see them come back and just be like doing it because they feel like they need to yeah. or something. I mean, yeah. it's always cool, but like in know. my head, it will be perfect because it is the albums and it is everything that I had. I viewed it perfectly right. and there was nothing to change that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that definitely, but yeah, rage. That's awesome that you have it so defined. And yeah, Johnny is definitely big on that. He <laughs> is man. It's part of why I like him so much. Yeah. So that's awesome. So, okay. So you, you play drums in that band. Yeah. They show you all this music. Yep. That has to be so insanely formative. It was very cool. Like, cause I was like, holy shit, they're fucking, they're, they're so cool. They're old. They guy, they have a driver's license. <laughs> yes, dude. Like, yes. What is these guys have driver's licenses, you know? And, um, and then around that same time, I was also like figuring out, you know, hip hop music. Which oh, was really? definitely not something that my mom wanted me to listen to. Okay. So, um, you know, I didn't grow up in like a super religious family. Um, but my mom, of course, was, you know, careful about what the, her 11-year-old son is like yeah. listening to. And so when you see like, you know, I was Gangster's Paradise and shit like that, you know what I mean? And she's just like, uh, and I remember she she found out I was listening to some of that stuff. She found out uh, I was listening to Coolio and who else was it? I want to say it was the Notorious B.I.G. Yeah. And she found out I had like a mixtape of that and she took it and then replaced it with a DC Talk like Christian rap mixtape. And I heard it and I was like, what is this shit? <laughs> like, this sucks. Why do I, I don't want to listen to this shit. What's the matter with you, mom? Is this is not a... the same thing. Because she was just like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's if you if you want to listen to rap, you can listen to rap. But how about this rap? And I'm like, this is not the same thing. You mom. don't get it. Like, That's don't give me this whitewashed a, shit. A caring real... mom move that I is just it. so painfully off. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I get it. I get it all. Yeah. And no, nothing, nothing against DC Talk, by the way, if anybody likes DC Talk. Somebody's listening. They're like, Definitely you, not the same thing as Notorious B.I.G. or Gangster's Paradise. No, not at you all. <laughs> so you're finding all sorts of different music. Yeah. You're playing sure. in that band. And then like what happens next? Like, so God, you know, I think at that point, like fast forward a couple years, my dad, again, always super supportive of my music career. Um, 
was just like, oh, well, you know, I, oh, I remember it was like time for me. I was like the age of time for me to get a summer job. I think I was like 14 or 15. My dad's like, you know, all right, you're going to work this summer. Like, I don't care if you're mowing yards. And I was just like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. As it happened, my dad knew a producer, this guy, Travis Wyrick, who is a actually big Christian rock and, uh, and like metal producer who happened to live in our town, um, who's actually very successful. He ran a studio and, um, my dad happened to know him and basically was just like, Hey, will you like pay my son? Like, I'll do you a favor, but if you can like pay my son like $6 an hour just to like hang out for a few hours, you know, do you mind? Like, I'm pretty sure my dad even like maybe slipped him some money. He was like, here's like a few hundred bucks. Will you just pay my kid to like go and just like do yard work or like, you know, clean your bathrooms or do something, you know? And, uh, he was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, guys got like a cheap engineer all summer or cheap, not engineer, sorry, cheap assistant all summer. And so I watched this guy and I saw like, you know, at the time it seemed like bigger bands like POD was one of those bands. And I remember that. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched Toby Mac, ironically from DC talk. i came through one time, super nice guy, by the way. And you know, like I saw some of these, these people and I just remember hearing like walking in his studio for the first time and hearing music come that he had created come off of a computer like that out of these speakers and it just sounded just like infinitely more high fidelity than anything I'd ever heard in my entire life and I was just like holy motherfucking god how did that even happen so I have to do that so coincidentally at the same time again I said my dad god bless him like he bought like a little 16 track Fostex recorder and he was in like, you know, my dad was in like local bands and stuff. So he had like a whole like electric drum set, like a Roland, the little one with like the black pads on it. I don't know if you've seen those before. Yeah. The 90s looking electric drums. And he had like guitar amps and, you know, a bunch of guitars and stuff laying around and a piano and stuff. And so I had like, you know, this little cheap studio setup that my dad had just because he was like, here, you know, maybe call on like this and, you know, we can record, we can work to, it'll be like a father son thing we can work together on, you know? That's awesome. And at the same time he got me this job. And so I came home every day after the job during the summer and like basically tried to recreate what I had seen during the day on my own. And I didn't, you know, I was in bands and stuff and you're in middle school or whatever in high school. So like all of your bandmates are like, Oh, I got football practice or I got, you know, whatever, like, you know, whatever they've got to do. And so a lot of times they would cancel or something. And, and I was just like, dude, this is what I want to do. I don't give a shit about going out and playing sports. Like I want to play music. So I learned how to play guitar better so I could just do it myself. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I ripped off like every artist I was listening to at that time, just writing my own songs basically by copying their songs and recording them on my own. And then I remember the first time I learned how to like record one acoustic guitar and then pan it to the left side and then record the same part on the same acoustic guitar and pan it to the right side and then like put on your headphones and listen to what that did. And I remember my mind like exploded, but I was learning from a professional producer who like had real records and real gold records and like actually was commercially successful. So I was watching him every day do these things that I just never even seen before. And my mind was just like torn open, like cataclysmically opened to this new vast 
expanse of like actually making shit happen. And it was so amazing and just such a profound experience for me. And before long, people started realizing, like in my own grade in school, started realizing like, dude, your music sounds way better than ours. What are you doing? And meanwhile, I'm like learning from like, I said, a real professional, not just like a local studio guy who like records local bands, but like a guy who's actually making, you know, like he has like the Christian music awards and stuff like people. He's a widely respected professional. I'm learning from a guy like that directly and building this relationship even as a kid. And the, and then I'm taking it back to my high school and then kids are like, how the fuck are you making your shit sound like that? Yeah. So then before long, I wound up getting hit up by like college, like, you know, I was, grew up next to UT University of Tennessee. So I had like college bands like hitting me up being like, hey, you know, can we pay you a little bit of money? This is when I was 16 or 15. Hey, can we pay you a little bit of money to come over and like have you record our demo and stuff? And so I did a few of those. And I, that's when I was 16 was like my first actual paid gig. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, it was probably like here, here's a hundred dollars and you can record eight songs for us or something. But it was my, it was like real money. And I a hundred dollars when you're, you know, in 2004, when you're like in school yeah. is like kind of a lot of money. Oh dude. You know what I mean? Was and it enough? Like, did it click like the same way when you heard the songs with him and you like heard the sound of it and you're like, this is incredible. Like that first hundred bucks or so, was that another moment where it, you're just like, you know, Oh wait, I'd be honest with you. I don't really remember even getting paid. Like okay. I did get paid. I know, okay, but, but I don't remember, I don't remember the money ever being like a, a thing. That's sick. It was sort of like, you know, I'd never have let money ever really drive my decisions. Um, and the few times that I have, I've always regretted it. So wow. I remember like recording that stuff for the first time and turning it in and people being like, and I just smiled and I'm just like, yeah, okay. Right. So it was the accomplishment. It was just like a hearing it back and just being like, I'm so much better than anybody at our high school, which was yeah. a big high school. And to me, that seemed like an unachievable thing in a you know my high school had like almost three thousand kids Damn. so so to be to the, be the only guy who can do that you know and this is before you know to, again like 2003 or four like that's seems like a long time ago now but like that was before you know logic and that was before everybody had logic on right the built in i was gonna their, ask you that like what were you recording on like what was a your six, literally a 16 track digital like you used to be able, I mean, you might be able to see them still in the Guitar Center, but probably not. But you used to be able to go into any Guitar Center and there'd be like a home recording, like, you know, section. Yeah. And they would be filled up with these little boxes that were, you know, just like little boxes that are probably the size of a large laptop. And they had like the little mix. It looked like a little mixer station. And it was like oh. an all-in-one recording thing. And then you could put your seat once you're done mixing your shit, you could like put a CD into the little CD drive and hit burn and it would burn a CD. With you, your didn't shit have on a, it. you didn't have a computer. No, it was literally all done on a little like digital machine. Did um, the dude that you were working with have a computer? Yeah. So he did. Yeah. But, um, I mean, like I said, pro tools and, and Cubase and all that stuff existed back then, but it, it was, you know, not nearly obviously where it is now, but it, yeah. it, only the professional professionals had Pro Tools. Right. That wasn't really like a consumer right. thing yet. Yeah. So like people really who were doing local recordings and stuff, I mean, people were still using Tascam and ADAT and shit like that. And, you know, the big studios would still use tape sometimes or like, you know, or like 
Pro Tools was just an unachievably expensive thing. Like only professionals use that stuff. So I have a question on that. Yeah. So like now, obviously we're sitting here recording this podcast on Logic and yeah. I was just telling him like, I don't yeah, really yeah. know. I had to figure it all out. Right. So you learned all of the fundamentals. Right. Before that was there. Yeah. So I don't know. You would know better than I know. That I know. What year-ish did you feel like interfaces like that were available to consumers? Like when did that shift happen? So I think that they were available to consumers before I really got into it. Mm. Because so what happened after that was I actually kind of took a left turn. My demos were so good that they wound up getting... Uh, I think it was like a junior A&R at Atlantic Records. We uploaded it. Some My guitar player uploaded one of our demos somewhere, you know, pre-MySpace or MySpace era, probably somewhere, like probably to MySpace or something. Anyway, they had come, one of the junior A&Rs had come across my demo and reached out to my guitar player. Yeah. And that to me at that point was such a gigantic, that was like the moment where I was just like, oh my God, like this is real we could actually be, uh, you know, assigned band. Like maybe I'm actually good enough to drive my band to be like a signed band. Okay. Well, cause and, yeah, so, and that actually, it. well, thinking back on it though, that actually was kind of a, a, not a mistake, but it was definitely a distraction because what I, what happened was I didn't realize that the reason that guy was interested wasn't really because our song was that good. It was because it was like, a local band with that good of a recording that early and we looked cool and you know we were like in high school or something so obviously any junior A&R like goes across 20 of those a day I'm sure and, right. and probably reaches out but to me that was like somebody in Los Angeles is reaching out to us in Tennessee like little podunk town in Tennessee oh my god like we're gonna be famous yeah and of course they never signed us <laughs> Atlantic well, never signed us because my question was like did you feel like by the time that these interfaces were available on computers that you just had it so figured out by grinding the hard way that it was cake? Yeah. But it was also, it's interesting that you answered it like that because you got it so well honed and perfected that you got attention well, and then the focused thing. on the band thing. Well, here's the thing that I guess that that was kind of a long winded answer because it's, and it's basically what happened is I got distracted to where I was like, the band is the focus. Yeah. And that kind of took me off path for a couple of years. Um, and then we just became a local band and focused in, you know, we moved into a house together and we really focused on like being a band and not, not like, you know, I took the energy off of like oh. recording stuff for like a couple of several years. And, uh, and, you know, which led me to probably around, I don't know, I was probably 21 or 22 by the time I actually came back around to it. So I like kind of took a few years off and just worked on like being in a band and trying to get my band successful. Little did I know the whole purpose behind that was, you know, my calling to be a record producer. And uh, so by the time I got back around to it, I started making demos. We fired our singer and then replaced it with an amazing singer, this girl, Lindsay Stamey. And we wound up getting signed about six months after we had her join because she was so good. And at that point, we had really honed our craft in and we were very serious. You know, we've been on a ton of tours. We had a booking agent, all that stuff. And we'd fired, we fired our singer because he was worthless and uh, for real. And, and we had this girl come in and she was so talented. We got signed um, to 11.7 Music and, you know, that kind of propelled us to make a, a real record with a real producer okay. who 
at that point I was dabbling back into Cubase. I use Cubase, but like I was dabbling back into that and the pro tools and that whole world. Um, so it, you know, took me off path for four years or so, um, where I was just working on being a rock star and yeah. not focusing on where I should have been. Yeah. And then we got signed and then did a bunch of touring and we made a record with this guy, Kato Kandawala, who became one of my best friends. Um, and I learned from him how to actually make a record like in a real studio in New York. You know, they flew us to New York and we, we made the whole thing and we like went to a big studio and I learned at that point I was 23 and I remember really soaking in all that shit. At that point, I was just like, okay, I can actually do this. So maybe if the band hadn't happened, you wouldn't have connected those pieces. Like as That's much as you very took likely. a break. Yeah, it's very likely. That's why I say I don't regret anything. I don't judge myself on anything like that. So it's just led me to where I'm at. That's and, actually, uh, that's really interesting and really cool because as you're telling the story, I'm like, damn, like he had a couple of years where he was like off and could have doubled down and been better. Yeah. But then as you tell the story, I'm like, well, shit, yeah. if you hadn't done that, yeah, who I mean, knows? How would I have gotten out of my town? I mean, touring took me all over the world, first of all. Yeah. And, you know, even though we were riding in vans and stuff, you know, it took us on a lot of cool tours and I met a lot of cool people and, you know, we did Warp Tour and we did... Wait, what was the band? Know, it was called Oh No Fiasco. It's okay. kind of an indie pop band. We probably suck. If you look us up, we probably suck. Don't judge me. But, <laughs> but you know, like it was a lot of fun and we had a good time and we went a lot of places and played a lot of big shows and um, and met a lot of great people. And uh, there's a lot of those people I'm still friends with today. And my friend Cato, he tragically passed in a motorcycle accident last year here in Los Angeles. But um, and actually wound up naming my daughter after after him. But um, he taught me everything I knew about like you know, down to what matters, how to deal with bands, psyches, you know, he had me program for him even while I was on tour and stuff. I'd still send him, he'd send me other artists and I was programming and I was just like, you know, this is actually reality. Like maybe I should be producing. So then I, I went to Los Angeles. I started going to LA quite a bit after, um, when we first came here, I remember going, holy shit, like this is amazing. Like so people just work at a whole different level out here. The, the passion is like met. And then when I went home, nobody really had the same drive that they do in LA. And so I kept finding myself just kept finding excuses to fly out and do writing sessions. And our label hit me up and I met this guy, Nick Long, who's now a magnificently successful songwriter here. Um, and at the time he was just kind of getting started and we became friends and, and I produced a song for him and it happened so fast. I got off tour, flew back out to LA, worked with him for a couple of weeks at his friend's house. And we made an amazing song. And, uh, he goes, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of, of like touring. And he's like, you know, my friend John Feldman is, is actually looking for a, um, engineer producer right now. Maybe I should send him some of your stuff. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm sure that guy won't be interested in a guy like me, but literally, a week later, John Feldman calls my cell phone, who, of course, I'm a massive used fan and, you know, everything John Feldman did, up, you know, pre 2006, I was like, you know, yeah, I was going to say, depending on, on that shit. So depending on that era of when you're getting that opportunity, like there is so. Oh, many. I mean, he did. You know, the guy's brilliant. He defined a genre, a subgenre of music. And he's calling me on my cell phone. And I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, would you can you come out? And I'm like sure. When you want me, he's like, can you be here tomorrow? And I'm like, well, I'm in Tennessee. Can you wait a day and a half later? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I flew out, worked with him on, which turned out to be five seconds of summer. 
um, right as they that wave was starting. And I worked on their record, came back home. I didn't know Pro Tools. So John goes, I don't think I can, you know, I don't know, man, you don't know Pro Tools. And I go, I remember talking to him. I was like, listen, dude, I'm, I think I'm a pretty smart guy. Like, just because I don't know Pro Tools, like I can do everything else. I can play any of the instruments here in the studio. I can write your vocal parts for you. I can use whatever. I'm like, I'm sure I can figure out an interface. You know, give me a month and I'm sure I'll be fast on it. And five seconds of summer was just like, we really like this guy. And he goes, cool. All right. When can you be out here? I was like, give me three weeks to get my shit together. I quit my band, dropped everything. Um, my wife, who I've been married to for four years now, like I told her, I was like, I, we weren't married at the time. I was like, I love you, but I have to go see what this is all about. Literally dropped everything I'd worked for, for like, you know, 10 years prior to that and just threw it out and just, you know, packed up my car and drove out to LA and started working for Feldman uh, with no end in sight or idea what was going to happen. And um, that's how I made it out here. So that's how I made it to LA. <laughs> so it okay. was kind of stressful. Yeah. There are two things that I am processing right now that are blowing my mind. One is I don't know what that is, but I feel like I have heard it from so many incredibly successful people where there's this like insanely risky move Yeah, where you're like, dropping everything like that's some real life you have a band that had success yeah. you have a girl like you have all of these right. things and you're like yeah cool give me three weeks i'll drop everything not everybody yeah. does that and whatever that is is insane to me and the other thing is i feel like there's a pattern of people who have worked with john feldman that have gone on to do the craziest stuff right like it's like a yeah, rite of passage he is so funny because he is a uh he's I've heard that too. And right? I know a lot of them actually. And I mean, there's some of them are still some of my very closest friends. I didn't realize you were another producer that had worked with him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, John is like, you know, say whatever about that guy. He has got an eye for talent for sure. Cause I mean, it's just like, you know, I could name, you know, Zach Servini, uh, who's crushing it right now. Um, Tommy English, uh, this guy, Brandon Paddock was yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you know, Brandon, um, trying to think Eric Ron was there at some point. Um, who else? John, this guy, John London, who's more of a recent guy and he's not a lot of people know him yet, but I think including myself, I don't even know, but I've heard about him and did he's Courtney ever up. work with him. I don't know that, if okay. Courtney did, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so like that's, that's a you lot. know, I can, that's a lot just off. Those are the guys I just know about, you know, right now. Yeah. So there's, and then of course myself. So like there's, he's definitely knows how to find people from all over the place and be like, yeah, come work for me. It's you know? crazy. And the okay. demands that guy has, by the way, are just well, like wild. It was, it was such a, a shock, you know, cause I used to get like getting off the road and people are doing stuff for you. You know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, you're playing our venue. So like, you know, and life was kind of easy. And then it was just like, Holy fuck. Like I'm a nobody with no experience. And, you know, I'm basically being in charge of like writing. I mean, John's the kind of guy that like would give you, there's never enough work. Like if he had 10 guys working for him, he'd find something for them all to do in every hour of the day. Like he's just that kind of guy where he just keeps creating and move, like, yeah. There's never a shortage of like things to do of work. Yeah. And I think that there's like something like it seems like you have a pattern in your life of this story where you've had these opportunities and you just step to the plate of like 
you obsess with whatever that is, that spark, and you go in on it. Sure. You know, you worked with that producer earlier in Tennessee, and right. it seems like you were qualified for that, and the fact that you stepped to the plate and did it. So this is such an important part. What happens now, you're working with him, you drop everything. You come yeah. out to California. Yeah, so, I mean, and then, you know, working for him, I, I don't, for lack of going into super detail with that. I mean, he and I kind of didn't always see eye to eye on everything. And, um, I just was kind of like, uh, we just, we had a little bit of a falling out. And, um, since, you know, we're super cool now, I just saw him a couple months ago and, um, we, we had a little bit of a disagreement, you know, several months in and I was just like, you know, this is maybe best if I, um, you know, cruise out of here. Uh, which was kind of stressful because, you know, I didn't feel like I had all the accolades I needed to start my own career. I still have my friend Cato who happened to be working in LA at that time. And Cato goes, you know what, man, why don't you come over here and, and work for me? I, I'll, I'll give you some, some stuff to do. And he, he rented this place called the Steakhouse, which is a studio I currently still have a, a studio at. That's such and a sick he, name. He had me, yeah, he had me come and work for him for a couple of months. And, uh, and I had worked while I was with Feldman, I had worked with this band called One OK Rock and um, the Japanese band. And they found out that I had left and they said, well, can you, you know, call it? He's like, oh, Colin left. And, and they were like, well, we love Colin. We love working with him. So they called me directly and were like, hey, will you like come to Japan? And, um, you know, I was at that point, I was super broke. I was living on my friend's couch Um I had all my gear like in my buddy's garage, like set up and, and my buddy Asher was super sweet. And he let me stay for like a couple of weeks, um, just set up in his garage and didn't charge me any rent or anything. And I was doing records. I was doing like music out of there Holy shit. and, uh, I was running out of money and Feldman called me and asked me if he wanted, if I wanted to come back. And I, I was just like, you know, I don't know if I want to do that again, like, I think I want to try to do this on my own. I just had this feeling and one. Okay. Rock asked me to come out and they flew me to Japan. And I remember landing in Japan and I had like less than a thousand dollars in my bank account. And, um, I'm stuck in Japan and had no idea where I was or what I was doing. And, um, and I remember getting there and my phone service didn't work. So I couldn't get a hold of the, the guy who was supposed to come pick me up. And I was just like, holy shit, I'm stuck in Japan. I don't speak Japanese and I have not a lot of money and I have no way to communicate with people. And it all worked out. But uh, I wound up writing for 1OK Rock and producing um, the single off their record. And, um, you know, they paid me. I flew back to Nashville to finish the song we'd started. And uh, I was visiting my girlfriend at the time. And I flew back to Nashville and was making their song in a kitchen. Like literally in, in her kitchen and I sent it to him and they were like, we love this. We want to record it in LA. So I said, okay. So I called the studio that I currently am at the owner. And I said, listen, I know you have an available room. It was just the universe was just like, this is what you're supposed to do. Fucking so sick. the re the room was available and he's like, cool, I'll charge you, you know, a thousand dollars a month. And I was just like, okay, I can't afford rent, but I'll, I'll just live at the studio. That's fine. So, which is what I did for nine months. So I called the guy, One OK Rock was supposed to, so let's just say it was a Tuesday. I flew out to LA on a Monday night. I landed on Monday night, stayed on my friend's couch. The next morning, the band was supposed to be there at 
let's say five o'clock on a Tuesday. I landed Monday night, woke up early the next morning, got all my gear in my car, went up to this completely bare, empty studio room and loaded in everything, no tapestries on the wall, nothing. So I had to make this entire room by myself, no help and set it up for the band to be ready to record at 5 p.m. And I made it with like an hour to spare. And that was the first like actual record that I did like in my studio on my own that actually made any sense. And it was a huge success in Japan. And so, um, and that's kind of like from there, it's just like on and on and on, you know, that gave you the fuel. That That was was the first, yeah, it was like the first real money I'd ever made. It was the first, like, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough to be like, this is, you know, okay, you can pay rent for a few months and like, you know, like, all your expenses covered and I had enough to buy a little bit of gear and yeah, you know, so that's, yeah. that's so insane. And you know, like y- you had that moment, you could have gone back and worked for Feldman and you said no. And yeah. like you, you dude, you're living in a garage, you're working out of a kitchen, you're yeah. living in a studio. Like yep. that's not easy. It's easy to talk about in a podcast right now. Cause it's in the past, but yep. those moments, like you're in your twenties and you're just like taking these crazy risks yeah, you have less like, than a grand you in your account. So I would have to imagine that there was just some type of spark or like you, you had to have been following some amount of certainty or betting on yourself and knowing that there was some world where it worked out. I think so. I mean, you just, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not like a, I don't think of myself as a particularly risky person. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm not one of those guys. I'm just like, oh yeah. Like, but I also don't shy away from it, Mm. but I'm not like, I don't take unnecessary risks or like do things that I feel like aren't going to work out. And, um, but looking back on it, it sounds pretty crazy. Yeah. Like it sounds like I would have, like, I should have failed in every, because I mean, you cannot live in Los Angeles like for very long. I know plenty of people, even from back home that came out here, want to pursue acting or music or whatever. And they, they make it here and they stay here for six months and they're just like, fuck this. Like it's It's, too expensive. And they wind up working in a restaurant or whatever that they, you know, side job and uh, and then some of them last longer than others and then they just get burned out and they're just like, this is just too hard. Yeah. And for all reasons that I should have failed and run out of money and, you know, had to go home and live with my parents or something, but it, uh, it didn't, I don't know. That's just, sick. So then one okay rock happens, you get enough success out of that. It connects enough. And yeah. then I would have to assume not that I'm trying to fast forward it, but like, when you have one album that does well, you get on the radar of certain people and certain labels. You start getting people requesting to do other albums with you. I mean that. So like, I think what happened there was that. So like one, okay rock at that time, they were obviously massive in Japan, but they were not really like, they weren't on fuel by ramen like they are now. Um, so they didn't really have any connects in the, in the States as far as like labels go. So I didn't, and they're, their record wasn't really doing anything here. So I don't really remember getting any like American oh, like Western work from that. Uh, it was all Japanese work. I did definitely got some Japanese work, which was, I'm very grateful for actually, because that really like floated me financially through the first year. Um, so my first real opportunity came through my friend, Nick Furlong. Um, and that was when we started doing, so it was like one. Okay. Rocks album they were going to start recording their next album. They wanted me to do that. They wanted me to produce most of, but then we started doing writing sessions with all time low. Um, and then me and Alex, Alex Gasgarth, you know, became quick friends and, uh, 
writing some really great music together with me and my friend Nick. And that turned into producing, you know, and it's, it's all kind of a blur to me, honestly. Yeah. You, like, no, I no, really I mean like that, that tells it what it is, but all time low was like the first time that I remember like a major band was like, yo, you're pretty good. Like we should do some more stuff together. Yeah. Like, you know, and then shortly thereafter it became Papa Roach. Okay. Um, writing session just turned into like production and they were just like, we love you. Do you, do you guys want to do our record? And we're like, yeah, like, fuck yeah, let's go. That's sick. And, uh, so that's kind of took, you know, took a little time to get that sort of thing started. But I remember that year was, I think that was 2016. That, that year really kind of like, that's where I felt like I really took off. Like, like put you on. I was just, yeah. I was just like, okay, this is a real shit now. So what is a day in the life now for you that you've had a couple of years of establishing yourself and building a foundation? I know we were talking a little bit before we started the pod and it sounds like you are busy. Yeah. It seems like that, I guess. Um, Sorry, this coffee you made is so delicious. Yo, for the listener, we did breakfast before the podcast, which is my favorite thing to do. So we just sipping yeah, on some coffee, too, catching it up. It was very it good breakfast. It sets a vibe. It definitely sets a vibe. No doubt about it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, um, I was just thinking too much about the breakfast. I don't even know what's the question here. <laughs> well, again. no, like, I guess like, it's just, I think that you, you clearly built your foundation. You're at a point yep. of success now. So my questions is like briefly, just like a day in the life for you now. Like what's it look like to have some stable ground to stand on as a producer? Like it's somebody it's, that's aspiring to get to this point. For me right now today, it's honestly, I'm, I was joking with my manager about this like earlier today. I was just like, I've literally never felt this busy. So like my, I'll give you the example of the last couple of months for me is I was producing a day to remember, came back home, had a, my wife had a child. Um, I started a new band, this band American Teeth that's about to go out on tour. We're getting ready to sign with, uh, with Fearless Records. Um, just you're in it. Yeah, I'm not really touring or like part of the, oh, the I understand. look, you know what I yeah. mean? So, um, You're like it's my the... friend Elijah Noel, who's like marvelously talented. So we, we did that kind of as a pet project and, you know, um, and that started taking off. And then um, finishing a day to remember, uh, I just signed a deal with Warner Chapel. So they've got me busy doing writing sessions. Uh, I was in Australia for a month in September producing, got back from Australia, jumped into another EP, which jumped right into... Uh, me going out actually on the road with it. I was on tour with the day to remember for finishing their album for a week last week, just got home, started another LP, um, American teeth going out on tour. So I'm doing rehearsals for that in the mornings and, um, what else? Uh, you know, I have a new daughter, so I wake up, I go to bed at one, I wake up at eight with her, take her to daycare and, uh, try to go run for an hour if I can. Uh, usually I can't, um, uh, get a shower and go to the studio and, um, and work on music until about midnight and then I go home. And so it's just, that's, it's constantly, that's a life constantly, 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 constantly happening. And if something's not happening, then I have other records I got to finish that I'm backed up on. Um, so yeah, you're just, it's nonstop. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much booked through April right now, as far as I can tell. Jeez. So it's like, uh, you know, my life is a, is like a sled going down a hill kind of uncontrollably, <laughs> you know, yeah. a little bit. but it seems like in the best way, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, so it's so much work. It's yeah. so much work. So people, um, 
don't really, I don't think people really think about like how hard you actually have to work to do this. Yeah. You know? Well, like, okay. So then the other question that I have is again, I'm not a producer. That wasn't my path at all. Right. Like I don't know any music production. I don't do that, but I think a lot of, I'm just interested in it in the fact or in the sense of you could have a kid who had the similar side that you did where you, you know, music, you play it, you love it, but maybe you are just so good at the production side. Or even nowadays, I feel like it's so accessible. People are making beats and people Mm -hmm. are working on all sorts of different things. If you feel like you're in that spot right now, like what is your advice to like the next generation of a you? I think that things get very diluted now because everybody's got a garage, but like, you know, kids growing up now, like their idea of a producer is yes. like a beat maker. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. From like everybody's like, Oh, so you make beats. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Like that makes sense, I guess. Um, but it's such a, mo- like producing a record or like, you know, a batch of songs with an artist is so much deeper than just like creating a beat. Um, it's managing budgets, it's managing time, it's managing expectations, it's managing artists who are 90% of the time fucking psychopaths for real. I love you all, by the way, if anybody, if any of my artists are listening, but you are psycho. And so am I for even wanting to deal with it in the first place. Yeah. You know, music is, is such an emotional roller roller coaster all the time. So artists are, are crazy. Um, manage but in the best way and like it's channeling that crazy energy and like figuring out how to make something out of it yeah if you weren't crazy as an artist you probably wouldn't make good music yeah but like, like it's not just making beats you know that there's like guys who just make beats and then they try to sell their beats and that's yeah. that's one way of producing yeah. music but i try to be like i'm my job is basically to make music happen like make a final product however i have to do that right so I would say like just listen to a tremendous amount of music from all walks of life, not just what you like to make. Like if you like making EDM beats, for example, or EDM tracks, like go listen to every other genre of music and then see. Because if you listen to all the great DJs, um, I mean, go listen to David Guetta or something or if somebody like Calvin Harris, even some of the the two biggest names, um, they incorporate all kinds of stuff, you know, like from swing to hip hop to like jazz to rock, you know, like everything all throughout the years, like it's a DJ, you're a DJ, you know, go, go, that's what a producer is supposed to be. It's kind of like a DJ. Yeah. Essentially. So the more music you, I would say, listen and consume first, like that's the biggest thing. The recording process and like capturing music onto a computer or, to a disc or drive or whatever, like, you know, eventually we're going to get to a point to where computers are obsolete. All you have to do is just think about an idea and it's captured somehow somewhere on a, on a little disc or something. So eventually like this process of capturing things is going to be sort of like an old archaic thing right like knowing how to mic an amp or how yeah. to like get the sound you're i think looking like for. a bench i mean this could thousand years now who knows but like right the technology will eventually out outpace us which means that but the one thing that humans are still going to be able to do is create and think of ideas that's where the that's where the originality is is the thinking and the processing of ideas so the me the manager the, the means of like capturing those ideas there is an art form in that but it's also like and that's part of the expression, I suppose. But I think that like the idea itself is really where the most 
weight comes from. And that's, that's cool. what's the most valuable. So people think way too much about, you know, oh, the beat sample, the like I like the sample and like all oh, they get too technically minded and right. you know, it's all about like the technical side of things and not about actually what the idea is. And so that's where I see like the great producers are. I mean, there's some great producers who don't even touch a computer. Yeah. You know, that's really cool to hear actually, because I've seen that in, in even different aspects where I have a friend who was kind of just an all around artist, right? Like anything, be it recording, being promo photos, he just had a vision. Like he, he had listened and seen enough of everything that inspired him. And when it came to anything, he knew what he was looking for. And then he would figure out the ways to get it there. So instead of mastering, like, this is exactly how you technically do this or this or this, he had the vision first and I would watch him figure out ways to execute it. So it feels like a parallel to what you're saying where I really get that. Yep. And it's a cool way to think of like, know what you're looking for, know what you're inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know what you're looking for. Sometimes it's kind of like, I have a band in right now who is probably frustrated with me when they first got here because they didn't have a lot of experience working with, um, you know, LA producers anyways. And they were like, you know, well, what's your process? Like what's your, and I was just like, bro, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's the first thing you need to know. And I was like, and if you don't trust me to do my process, to do whatever process that is, then you should just probably shouldn't be here. You know, because I don't really stress myself out about it or judge myself too much about it. I just go like, this is just, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know what I'm doing. I just do it. You yeah. know, and that's a hard thing to explain. And it's just, but it all comes down to just being like, if I wanted to really be methodical about everything, I would be much better being like an engineer or, you know, so, building rockets or like, you know, some, some yeah. exact science. But there's no exact science to my brain. I'm I'm floating around all day long. So it's interesting though, now knowing your whole story, where you spent the hours kind of as the engineer helping all these people. Sure. Like you do have the technical skill and you've put so much time and hours into music itself that now that opens it up for you to be like, okay, cool, let's worry about the creative. Like yeah, yeah, sure. you have that headspace right. of here's an entire conceptual, it's not a beat. It's not a, just a guitar. Right. And I figured, you know, I fit when I first left Feldman, I'd say like the first two years of leaving Feldman and going out on my own, I'd say so, I, almost two, two solid years. I spent 90% of my time worried about like mixing and, you know, cause that's where I was lacking as a musician. I was a musician and I knew how to write stuff, but like mixing it all together and making it sound like a really dope finished product yeah. and researching the gear and all the technical stuff. That's where I spent the most amount of time refining that side of my process. And, um, now I wouldn't ever spend that much time thinking about it too much. I just do it. But that's again, like you said, it's like imprinting your sort of, uh, your process and your like, you know, muscle memory, your brain mem- memory on like what you like and what sounds good. And so it's definitely not time wasted, but it's not something I would spend time on now. Interesting. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like I took myself to school yeah. for a couple of years and got my, my bachelor's degree in mixing or whatever, my master's degree in mixing, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, cool, I got that. Pro- I have that now. Now I'm going to move on to like, I can improve upon that always, but I'm not going to really like 
go to fucking English class every day, you know, or go to mixing class every day. That's not now yeah. I'm going to go now I'm more focused on what I set out to do in the beginning, which is finish records and produce records and sit on the couch and go, I don't like that idea. What about something that sounds more like a Peter Gabriel riff? And everyone's like, what we're doing like a, you know, we're doing a, this is like a heavy rock song. Like what, what are you talking about? Peter Gabriel. And I'm like, that goes back to oh, I, bands all the time are like, why do you, why are you so weird? And I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> well, if yeah, I was going to ask, come like, on. that has to be a hard line. Again, I don't know. Like you have an artist, they have a vision, they have a shell of an album, I would assume. Right. And then there's, there's you as a producer, as a songwriter and you're coming in and you're adding your spin to it and you are yeah. working with them. Is that a hard thing to navigate? Like I, I would assume everyone is different in that. That's true. But is that a hard thing to navigate to kind of find that perfect middle ground or like how yeah, do you it, find that flow? It, it is. I think, I think that there's like, you know, there's goods and bads to like being very assertive as to what your vision is because ultimately it's up to the artist. I would say that I'm very careful about who I wind up doing final records for it, only because I don't like doing records for people who a don't know what they want. Mm. Like a lot of baby bands when they first coming out, they don't really know what they want to sound like. And you know, I super young bands are, are very similar to when I was 18. And if I was working with a producer in, in LA with a bunch of credits and stuff, and I would probably have been like, yeah, man, just do whatever you think is great. Yeah. But that's, that's like the other extreme is, is I got to have somebody who tells me like, who's, you know, I'm not making this music for me. I'm making this for you. It's a service thing. You know, I'm giving you, I'm an artist creating a, a painter, a, a paint, a painting that you're kind of directing me on what you want it to look like. Yeah. And I'm just manifesting that based on my experience and all that. And that's why people pay me to do what I do. Yeah. So if you think too much about it, like, Oh, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not always like the move for me. But I also want them to, to you know, have some perspective on what they want. But then also on the other side of that, I want people to have enough open mindedness to let me dig. Like I'm not just going to sit there and let you dictate every part of my process. Right. You know, I actually have had a, a recently an artist who had a hard time with that because they had never experienced. They they felt like they had to be in the control seat the entire time. And I literally called the label and I said, "Listen, I will." 100% give you your money back. Just say the word. But the one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to sit here and let somebody dictate like how I'm, you know, I've just worked too hard to be here and I don't, this isn't like a higher calling for the day. I don't go, you know, I'm not like a, high, a higher by the day kind of guy. Like this isn't a service business. This is a collaborative effort. Yeah. And if, if you can't collaborate with me and trust me, then I don't really think that I'm going to best be able to serve you. Yeah. And I actually showed the band. I was like, fine, look, we'll do it your way one day. And so I did it their way and let every, let everybody dictate the whole process the whole day. And we got probably 20% done of what we would have the next day, which is when I was like, great, now we're going to do it my way. And we got immensely more work done and everybody was way more excited at the end of the day. And so I said, okay, do you see what I'm saying now? Like, let me, you come to me, yeah. let me do my process. Yeah. And then, and that's something for like anybody who's like actually trying to do this, like develop your process. You know, you got to love artists and you got to love their emotional responses to everything. I think that's so exciting for me. So it's like learning how to sort of channel that is super fun. 
That's cool. Yeah. That's I'm just fascinated by it because it's something that I don't have the skill of doing where it's like, you have to have that confidence. You have to have your vision, but then you also have to collaborate. And I always like, I'm like, man, that seems stressful. I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But you know, everybody's got their own ideas. Like, I mean, like you have an idea of how you want this podcast to go yeah. and I could come in here and really just talk about nothing for a couple hours. That's but I told true. you before we started, I was like, dude, you got to direct me a little bit. And that's the same sort of thing that I do at my studio. Yeah. I'm like, look, dude, you're the artist. Direct me as to what you want to do or else I'm just going to paint a picture of, you know, if you're looking for a picture of a house, I may not paint a picture of a house if you don't tell me right. that you want right, a house. Right, right, Like, you, you know what people I mean? have seen you paint a good picture of a house and think that you'll just paint a house, but you're like, I don't know, man, I painted a house that day. I'm going to yeah, paint yeah, a tree yeah. now. Yeah, I could paint a tree or a fucking yeah. tiger or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you got to just give me... You know, how big do you want your house to be? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Well, how about this then? Maybe you didn't think so. That's that's how a producer is. It's a it's a collaborative th- position. Yeah. Um, and then if you're not collaborating and you're just thinking of it on your own, and that's what I do with my band American Teeth. Um, it is collaborative because I work with my friend Elijah and he's the singer and the face of the band, but like, you know, for all intents and purposes, it is my creation. Right. So you're not we, collaborating. Yeah, the you're, heat. You're, well, I mean, we're we're collaborating together, but like we're both creating it. So yeah. it's not like it's not like there's anybody telling us what we can and can't do. I don't have an artist who's ultimately gonna be the yes or no person. Like I am that person. Right. So then we can paint whatever we want. Yep. And that has its own set of like, you know, limitations and stresses, but it's also way more freeing to do that as well. You know, and that would be more like an artist being more like an artist. That's, you know, that's cool. That's a cool perspective. So I hope I didn't cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, The last question that I have is one where it's just kind of like a look back to all of the things you've been through. And obviously you're here now, you have solid ground to stand on. You've kind of found your lane. You've made your, your mark and your success. Mm -hmm. But if you could go back to any time of like the most turmoil or the most uncertainty with what you know now and give that past version of yourself some advice or like what do you tell like what is that shakiest point where are you and now with what you know and how things panned out what do you tell that version of you i just god man that's a that's a deep question yeah i think uh, just be like um just trust your trust your gut i guess you know I'm an idiot a lot of times, but my gut is never an idiot. It's always like pretty solid and just trust your gut on, on things. You know, if you're, uh, I had a good friend of mine be like the other day, cause I was emotional about something. I was, I don't know. I was being a, a brat about something. I was just like, you know, fuck this band or whatever. Like I was just like, this is frustrating. I, I don't remember this a couple months ago and I was frustrated about something trivial. And my manager, who's one of my best friends, she's like, your feelings are just your feelings. That's it. You're allowed to have feelings, but they're just your feelings. They're not anything else. They're its own object. And you should be able to like, look, if you look at that, like, you know, don't emotionally react to the point is don't emotionally like set off making decisions just out of emotion. Like you got to have your emotions. Those are important to drive creativity, but your decisions in life should be made pretty much just based on how your gut feels and what your brain is thinking and find where that meets in the middle. That sounds really serious and heavy, but it's no, not, I, it's I, like, just, just like, don't, you know, just pay attention, I guess. And, you know, well, you said that. And I love, I love that. like how, how you say, follow your gut because it seems so simple 
And it's, I mean, at least for me, I agree. Anytime I've done it, it's paid off. Right. But why is that so hard sometimes? Why is that? You know why? Because because a lot of times your gut is telling you something that your head doesn't want to believe. Mm. And it's telling you to do something that's way harder and it's going to be more stressful than you probably want to. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, uh, man, I really just want to sleep in today. Fuck, I'm tired. I don't want to go to work. But then, you know, your body's like, your head's like, dude, you, you got to go to work. Like, you know what I mean? Like you yeah, got to get like, up. It's cold outside. It is dark. And you're like, I really don't want to get up. I'm tired. And then your body, your brain is, your body is just like, no, but your brain goes, dude, you got to go to work. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like sometimes you're, and you get up and you just go do what you got to do. And that's how you have to look at it. But it's your gut is telling you to do something. You got to follow that. It's shit. like your gut sees the big picture when you don't, when like yeah. when you're in your head and you're just thinking about how good it would be to sleep in or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's the immediate, but that's then your the gut is like that to do. big picture. It's, it's, that's the easy thing to do. And I mean, I aspire to be a great entrepreneur, business person later in music at some point and, or like a really great producer like Rick Rubin or somebody. And to get to there, you have to make so many sacrifices and, and you just do a dumb bunch of dumb shit that, that you seems arbitrary or seems like it's hard and it is hard, but it's like, you have to go through a lot of hurdles to get where you want to go. No matter what you're doing though, you know, like what, what great person has ever had it easy. Right. Like ever. Yeah. No, I mean, even your story, like the sacrifices you made already, right? Like moving to California and just yeah. taking that risk. That yeah. seems to be a pretty common theme in anybody successful that I've talked to is like... I mean, you just told me you just moved here, right? And Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had a very similar parallel to you, actually, where I went from Florida to California with right. not much, but yeah. it was just like, a, I think I have to do this. Yeah. Like, when else are you going to do it? Yeah. And I was, uh, I was just on tour. I told you with a day to remember, and I got hung up at the Canadian border because I only was supposed to be out for like four days. And then they asked me to be out for like the rest of the week and they were going into Canada and I didn't have my passport. Obviously I left it here in California. So I had to have my wife like overnight it. So I woke up in the parking lot of a FedEx that like right next to the border, this place called Plattsburgh, New York. And they were supposed to have my passport there. And I got off the bus and there's, you know, day two has got like, you know, three tour buses and four semis going with them. So there's a whole caravan of a lot of people that have to get to the show. And so the tour manager wakes me up and I get out of the bunk and I go to and go into FedEx and the lady's like, yeah, sorry, it got hung up. It missed the flight. It's not going to make it. It'll be here tomorrow though. And I'm like, lady, I got to go now though. I can't wait till tomorrow. And she's like, well, it's in Memphis. So unless you can fly to Memphis real fast and come back, then you're not going to make it. So I had to stay in Plattsburgh for a day by myself in a hotel until my thing got there. And then I rented a car and drove to Montreal where I was supposed to be the next day. And, uh, so I had like a, a 24 hour period where I was stuck in Plattsburgh, New York by myself. So I was, I remember going out and I was, I was at a bar one night and I met this girl who was saying, uh, she was like, Oh, what do you do? And I told her, and she was just like, man, that's just, you know, that's just so like, That'd be, that would be so great if I could just go do what I want to do with my life. And this is a young girl. She's probably in her late 20s, you know, and she was like, I just wish I could just go do what I want to do. And I was like, well, do like the thought of not doing what I want to do with my life was so staggeringly surprising because all my friends are like you. They're creative people 
who I surround myself with creative people who do what they want to do with their lives, you know, and art. I mean, I joke about it. Like most of my closest friends are, are like artists in bands because, you know, I don't have a lot of time to spend just hanging out with people. So like the, and neither do they, they're all, all, all over the place. So like that's, those are the guys I relate to the most, the guys and girls I relate to the most. So, and all of them do what they, exactly what they want to do with their lives. And it's so funny to like hear this girl, this, this pretty young girl, she was just like, you know, I don't know what, you know, I don't know how to do what I want to do. And I was like baffled by that. I was like, this is so strange. But then I thought so many people grow up without inspiration or without having that drive or like knowing what they want to do or like being brave enough to even like step out and do it. And then, but like you and I are sitting here and it, seems just so kind of like arbitrary and like easy, right? right? Like I feel like it just You be, almost take it for granted. You do take it for granted. I always but take it for granted. That's the whole point of this podcast is like for the people that don't have the friends to inspire them, it's like if you can find anything that's like here's examples of people that took those risks and you're not alone to feel that risk and you know things like that. To me be ha- yeah, but like happiness is like I mean, dude, we're all this is so morose and kind of sounds weird, but like everybody is going to die at some point and you will not be around to make a change. Like I feel like regret is like the, maybe the most scary thing perhaps of anything. So I just don't understand the, I don't understand it, but I empathize with it of being afraid because I've been there and been afraid before, but I've never understood really like letting fear get in the way of, of you know, if you know that like jumping in a cold pool, is going to bring you infinite happiness. Wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I would. I did already, you know, basically. So like, I I just don't understand people who are just like, "Mm, I'm afraid of like making, being uncomfortable for a few years to, to like, but I don't, but here's the thing too. I don't like, I hear people talk about it. Like, like other people like us talk about it and they sort of sound arrogant Mm. about it. And like, they have this like, Oh, well I do what I would want to do. And it's, and like, everybody who doesn't do that is somehow like less than them. Like there's so many influencers on Instagram and I think that attitude is shit completely. Like, well, I think the point to differentiate is do what you want to do, but it's not easy and it takes these sacrifices and you have to master a craft. Like the, the, the reason you have the ability to do what you're doing now is because in high school, when your friends were going and playing football and doing whatever else you were the kid, it was like, yo, I'm actually kind of obsessed with music and I'm going to figure out how to pan my guitar to the left and the right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how many years was that? Right. And then you were working with that dude in the studio. Yeah. And then you were recording things on your own. So it's like, now you have the ability to do that, mm-hmm. but you've known that that's what you wanted to do for a long time. And for a long time, you've been making those sacrifices. Right. So I think that it becomes easy to say, oh, just do what you want to do. And sure. you kind of forget you don't give yourself the credit of the fact that you've put in your 10,000 hours. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but I think I see a lot of these influencers on Instagram. My friend and I call it struggle porn. They're the guys <laughs> that are like, you know, they're the guy, they're the guys that are just like, uh, you know, oh, you f- sleep four hours a night and you should be, you're not working hard enough. You, we've all seen those assholes, right? Struggle for them. That's yeah. so good. And I'm not talking about guy. like, I actually, I like Gary Vee a lot, but yeah. it's like the Gary V's that aren't Gary Vee. Gary yes, Vee, the, Gary Vee's different. He separates right. himself differently, but like everybody else that kind of does what he does, you know what I mean? Like, 
you don't work hard enough and blah, 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 motivation, motivation. And I'm just like, to me, that is sort of putting your, that's like an ego trip. Like you're putting yourself up on a pedestal a little bit. Like, I don't think that people who don't follow their dreams are any less. I just noticed that they a lot of times seem less happy because they, maybe there's always like a what if. And I, that is just really, that really sucks. Cause I really have a lot of empathy for people in general and to, I want everybody to be happy. Like, I feel like everybody has the chance to be happy if you let yourself. And the one thing that holds people back is like fear of whatever holding them back. And it's just like, this is a hard gig. Like I'm crazy for being in music industry, but it's, it's what I like to do. So like if I, you know, and my father is actually another person. Like he tells me all the time, he's like, you know, if I, could have gone back and done it again. I probably wouldn't do what I'm doing now. I probably would have, cause he's a very talented musician. Like he's like, I maybe would have pursued it. You know, he's like, I don't regret it. Cause I have five kids and I'm, I love all of you guys and I'm happy with my life right now. But like, and, but there's a seed of regret. Yeah. And I never want to do that with myself or my child or anybody, even my friends. So I encourage everybody who's listening to this, whether you like music or not, obviously you like music if you're listening to this podcast, you know, just go do it. Go work for free. Go sleep on people's floors. Like, just do it. Like, I mean, I hired a guy from Florida, actually, this guy, Kevin McCombs. He's my new engineer. Um, he came and was was uh, in, interning on the day two, remember, record. He was there for two months, didn't ask to get paid once. We gave him gas money, slept on the couch, just ran coffee. And eventually, my my first engineer was asking him to do some more technical stuff. And then all of a sudden, that turned into like, you know, tearing down microphones. And then all of a sudden that turned into getting on the computer and like rendering files down at night. And then it turned into like, Oh, Hey, helping the guitar player, like rebuild his guitar amp. And then it turned into like, Hey man, you know, you want to, once this record's done, can I fly out to LA? Can you like help me with my con? I just bought a new console. Like, can you help me like get my console up and we're running? And then it turned into, Hey man, I really like you. The band seemed to like you. Do you want to just be my engineer? And now he lives here and you know, He's like doing what he wants to do. So like that turned in, you know, just hum being humble and like hungry is like turned into him doing what he wants to do. And he's fucking stoked now. He's got a girlfriend out here now. Yes. Dude, he's loving it. Dude, I I love that. Like you just said that so well. Yeah. Like, thank you for that. Yeah, man. I mean, thank you for taking the time to do this too. Like I get how busy your day is and it, it really does mean a lot to me because my whole idea is that this will inspire people to go do exactly what we're I talking hope so. about. I so. hope so. And thank you for having me. This is great. And yeah. I'm glad you're really close, you know, and also like Adam's upstairs. I mean, we yeah, had, just got yeah, to like, kick uh, it and yeah, catch up on all yeah, that. Yeah. Like totally random seeing him. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad, uh, glad to know you're here and you know, hopefully there's a lot of listeners out here that like want to pursue this. And if I can have any part in like, helping somebody be happy. That's the way to do it. You know, that's the goal, man. Thank you. We think we did it.